You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 98 by Rudolf Steiner, the Listener's Notes to 18 Lectures, entitled Nature and Spirit Beings, Their Activity in Our Visible World, translated by Christian von Arnhem. This is Lecture 13, given in Stuttgart on the 8th of February, 1908, entitled Some Supersensory Facts and Beings. Today let us look at some details from the occult world. Some of what we will say today is intended to follow on from the reflections here last time. Some of it is intended to widen your view in the direction already taken last time, that we see increasingly how the space around us is filled with the life and spirit of supersensory facts, supersensory beings. We saw last time in our reflections how the various kingdoms, the mineral, the plant, and the animal kingdoms, contain beings around us which we can call group eyes. We have explained how the animal world is based on group eyes, capital, how these group eyes are to be found on the astral plane as self-contained individualities, one might say as personalities, how they circle the earth, so to speak. We saw how the plant eyes are in the center of the earth and how we did not indicate any particular place for the group eyes of the minerals because they are in higher parts of the Devakan. From this alone you have seen that beings are constantly around us, which we always pass through, so to speak, which penetrate us, which live in the same space as we do. That which is, for example, an animal group soul, which belongs to a whole group of animals of the same form, can pass through us. For in the astral sphere there is the law of penetration, of permeability, in contrast to our physical world, where the law of impenetrability prevails. Now, first of all, to expand on what was said then, I would like to make something like a comment. You saw then that we have to think of the root of the plant as its head, which is in the earth. Then the stem grows out, which develops leaf after leaf, and so on. In the center of the earth we would have to look, schematically represented, for the group eyes of the plants. What we see of the plant with our eyes is the physical body of the plant. This is embedded in what we call the etheric body of the plant. What is characteristic of this etheric body of the plant? Everything that we know as the etheric body has the characteristic, the feature, of repetition. Where the etheric body is active as such, the principle of repetition prevails. We see how leaf upon leaf is repeated in the plant. Why? Because this repetition is based on the power of the etheric body. This principle of the etheric body also prevails in the human being. We find it, for example, in their spinal column, where ring follows ring. When the clairvoyant looks at the plant in its entirety, they see the etheric body underlying the whole plant. But at the top, the plant is clothed 
by something like a covering of astral clouds, so that we see the physical body of the plant, consisting of roots, leaves, and so on, saturated with the etheric body, and glowing above with a kind of glowing light, the astral light. And this astral element which affects the plant brings about its completion in the blossom and fruit. If only the etheric body were active, then the plant would unfold endlessly, leaf by leaf. Through the astral body this is brought to a conclusion. The etheric body is, so to speak, dampened by the astral. We can see the eye capital of the plant clairvoyantly like a sheath that goes to the center of the earth. If you follow the plant from the outside, you only have the physical and etheric bodies at first. That which glows around the plant belongs to the astral atmosphere of the whole earth. So you see how the spiritual bathes our globe. That which you yourselves have in you as an effect of the etheric body principle is the succession of the vertebra of the spinal cord. It is brought to a conclusion by the fact that the spinal column is surrounded by the powerfully intervening astral element. Through the astral body unfolding, the vertebra of the spinal cord close off to form the bones of the head. This is how you would have to trace the interaction of the etheric with the astral everywhere in the world in general. There is a mystery at the root of this, the mystery that all living things must be damped down, killed, as it were, by the astral. This killing in the astral brings the etheric to a conclusion. If we imagine it as a force effect, it is called azote. Readers aside, spelled A-Z-O-T-E. Apologies for uh, the pronunciation, end of readers aside. In spiritual terms, azote means that force in the cosmos which prevents the etheric from unfolding with abundant power without ever coming to a conclusion. The fact that consciousness is invoked in the living is based on the power of azote, for without the astral there would be no consciousness. Everything that is spiritual also has its expression in the physical, just as all physical matter is, for the spiritual observer, nothing other than the incarnation, as it were, of the spiritual. We have now seen, spiritually speaking, the interaction of the always developing etheric with the astral, which arrests the etheric, and in doing so gives rise to consciousness. Now, you will find the physical expression for human beings and animals if you observe the interaction of the two substances contained in our air, oxygen and nitrogen. Oxygen in our air is the embodiment of the etheric, the great life body of the earth. If you were to breathe only oxygen, you would be consumed by excessive life. We might say you would be old the moment you were born. Consciousness as such would not be able to develop as it does in humans and animals. The developing life, the oxygen principle, must be damped down. It is damped down by the addition of nitrogen. It regulates and limits the effect of oxygen. If you were to breathe only nitrogen, you would die immediately. The interaction of the two brings about the balance that dampens down life 
so that it can become conscious. The physical incarnation of azot is the force that finds expression in nitrogen. In this way you learn to know the spiritual background of what you continually take into yourself and emit from yourself. You now have an example of the fact that all life comes into being by bringing about a balance between opposing forces. We also see this balance between two powers in the great universe, in our solar system, for example. And there we come to a chapter where we can point out that our solar system is not only a series of bodies of physical substance, but that the physical part in all these bodies which belong to our system is only an expression of something spiritual. Just as you have a physical body which belongs to a soul, so each planetary body belongs to a soul and a spiritual element, and the spiritual elements of the individual cosmic bodies are very different. If we could look at our earth clairvoyantly from the outside, we would not only observe rocks and so on of material substance and see animal and human figures wandering among them, we would see, above all, group souls of plants, animals, and so on. This is already a spiritual population of our earth. The clairvoyant would also see the individual souls of human beings, the folk soul, and so on. Indeed, you must not simply imagine the spirit of a celestial body as a sphere in space with a spirit and a soul, but that a complete spiritual population, which forms a whole, inhabits this celestial body. And all these individual spirits, group souls, and so on, are in turn under a leader, as we may call it. And all this together corresponds to the whole spirit of our earth, that which we call the earth spirit. It is our aspiration to penetrate better and better into the details of the spiritual life of a planet. From these indications alone, you will see that the spiritual life of a planet is complicated. You must be patient. We keep making progress. We will be able to follow our planetary system a little further today if we remember that our earth has not always been as it is now. It has only become this way in a slow evolution. You know that the earth, before it became earth, was another planet. We call the former incarnation of our earth the old moon. That is not our present moon. The latter is only a separated part of it. Even earlier, the earth was what we call the sun planet. Again, this does not mean the sun of today. And even earlier, our earth was Saturn. How does our present sun relate to the old sun when our earth was still the sun? The position of the sun in space was not yet as it is today, for at that time there was not yet a sun separated from the earth. That which all of you were at that time, that which was the preparation for the present physical, etheric, and astral body, lived in this old sun itself. On Saturn, the first disposition for the physical body was given. On the sun, the disposition for the etheric body. On the moon, that for the astral body. And on the earth, the I, capital, is added. If you relate this to your present condition, you will understand how you lived on the old sun. 
Your life consisted only of the physical and etheric body. Your eye was not yet in the body, and neither was your astral body. If you want to imagine the old life on the sun, you will get an idea of it. If you imagine that you would all suddenly fall asleep here, then the physical and etheric bodies would remain sitting on the chairs, and the astral body and your eye would float above you. That was the permanent state on the sun. That is how it was on the old sun. You yourself, as in your eye and astral body, floated surrounding the sun and ruled and guided from above what was down there. Of course, your physical body was not like it is today. You can get an idea of what your physical body was like back then if you imagine it in the manner of today's plant. There it was no flesh in today's sense yet. It was a kind of plant life that you had. But it was impossible for this sun to retain such a form. In that event, an earth with people such as you are today could never have arisen. At the transition to the moon, those beings who could bear this sun existence had to separate themselves from the earth, for this sun existence was a rapid, fast-moving one. And so it came about that the sun separated from the earth with those substances which necessitated a fast, precipitate life. So the sun took with it the rapidly developing substances and beings, and the earth remained behind with those beings that could not keep up with the rapid pace. And among these beings was the human being, that which was best on the old sun in terms of beings and substances left and became independent. In the sun of today, in the fiery, gaseous masses, we see the bodies of highly exalted beings who have already advanced far beyond the human being. Because they have long since gone so far that they no longer need to live in a body, they can now bear the existence on the sun. Thus the sun is an existence which has arisen out of planetary existence. And there you have what in occultism is called a fixed star. A fixed star is an advanced planet, which has ejected the things that could not come with it. The higher beings have founded their existence on the fixed star. Every fixed star has arisen from a planet. In the cosmos, too, an advancement, an ascending progression takes place. After all, our earth will also go through the following incarnations. It will become Jupiter, Venus, Vulcan. As early as Venus, our earth will have arrived at a kind of fixed star existence. We transform ourselves with the earth into beings of a higher kind, which can then bear the fixed star existence. Now, we have seen how a fixed star is formed by a planet separating out its bad substances and beings and raising the better substances and beings to a more exalted existence. Now, you may ask, if such a fixed star continues to move upward, what will become of it? What will become of the sun with all its sublime beings? That will, in the first instance, still have to wait a while, for the next thing will be that our earth will once more unite with this sun. But then another separation will take place, because our earth will gradually become a fixed star. Once our earth has reached the Venus or Vulcan existence, then what is now the sun will slowly become something else. 
what does a sun turn into? A sun becomes that which we see glittering down from the sky today as the zodiac. The higher stage of development of a sun is that it unfolds into the zodiac. The zodiac consists of the twelve constellations, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces. To the materialistic astronomer, they are simply group images. The clairvoyant, however, knows that they are not simply situated in space, but that in their constellation they correspond to spiritual beings that are grouped around this band in the sky. When beings have completed their sun existence, they become such a zodiac. This too has a kind of development. Today you know the zodiac, which has a certain relationship to our life and existence, as a certain spatial arrangement of certain stars. It was not always like that. It has developed out of a kind of nebulous substance. Imagine the old Saturn, which once represented the earth, which then became the sun, the moon, and finally today's earth. It was already surrounded by our zodiac, but at that time our zodiac was not differentiated into stars. The mass was like a shower of mist. With the advance of Saturn toward the sun and the moon, the masses grouped together in the constellations shown forth. Where did this zodiac come from which surrounded Saturn at that time, and which, once our sun turns into a zodiac in the future, will disappear because it has done its service? Well, you can imagine that Saturn was preceded by other stages of evolution. An earlier sun, which shone over earlier incarnations of our earth when it was Saturn, sacrificed itself and became this zodiac. If we look at the zodiac with occult vision, we see that it has only become a zodiac through a great sacrifice. Substances and beings that preceded our existence sacrificed themselves and formed this zodiac, first as a nebula and then grouping themselves into stars. That which was described to you as the creative beings for our beings, when the earth was still Saturn, that was united with the old zodiac at the time. All the sublime beings who had previously passed through a high stage had to work downward. From them flowed the disposition for the physical body. This is the secret of the development of the world, that all beings ascend from beings who receive to beings who produce and create. Becoming creators is the goal of beings. Beings gather in the zodiac when they have ascended from receiving to giving. Matter flowed together from the zodiac to form the first disposition for the physical body of the human being. Thus we learn to look increasingly into the cosmos and into that which floats through it. And the physical bodies appear to us only as the physical expression of higher spiritual beings. Thus matter flowed out from those higher spiritual beings through their will. That is the powerful magical action that the will becomes so strong that it can cause matter to flow from itself. Substance rained down from those beings who on old Saturn were called to form the substance 
which in the course of time transformed itself into the present physical body. We call these sublime beings thrones or spirits of will, who had developed to such a height that they could cause that cosmic rain to percolate down which was the first disposition for the physical human body. This is another such vista we aim to obtain. The time will come when what we might call a convergence of all these vistas will emerge. But you must have the patience to learn all the details so that the greatness of the cosmos will gradually emerge. We will now move on from these worlds to another chapter. We go back to that point of our Earth's evolution where the Sun separated from our Earth, where, once upon a time in the distant past, when Sun and Earth still formed one body, the Sun departed with the more highly developed beings and left our Earth behind as a setting suitable for us who were developing more slowly. The Sun then shone on the Earth from outside. The beings of the Sun are sublime and powerful beings, but creative in a different way from the thrones, those spirits of the zodiac. That which flows from the sun to the earth is light. This is also a mighty deed, but it is cosmically inferior to the trickling down of substance itself. What we now call the moon was initially still united with the earth. Our moon came into being because the inferior substances and beings which at that time were still connected with the earth, were ejected. For if the earth had kept the moon within itself, then our evolution would not have proceeded properly either. Evolution would have become too slow. The earth would have been mummified, so to speak, like a statue. Life would have died out. Too much would have been killed, and the earth would finally have to become a field of the dead. That is why the moon had to go, and the earth stayed behind and could keep the balance. But now the sun and the moon affect the earth from outside. They keep the balance on earth, so that human development can take place. Everything is kept in balance by opposing forces. This is the only way that the I, capital, could gain a foothold in humanity, that the two opposing forces, the sun and the moon, act upon the earth. And now remember our first elementary representation of the human being. The human being consists of a physical body, etheric body, astral body, and I, capital. The I works on the astral body and transforms it into manas, the etheric body into buddhi, the physical body into atma, or spirit human being. But it would have been impossible for this development to have taken place in this way right from the beginning. The sentient soul, mind soul, and consciousness soul had to insert themselves here. These elements which lie between the body, the physical, etheric, and astral body, and the spirit, manas, buddhi, atma, have been provisional transformations. Now the I, in its spiritual stage of development, is working the spirit self, manas, into the astral body. Everything that happens now is purely the work of Manas or the Spirit Self. But this hasn't been happening for long. We only began with it in the Atlantean period. 
It was, however, prepared earlier, albeit unconsciously, through the three intermediate elements, the sentient soul, mind-soul, and consciousness-soul. When the human being came over from the moon to the earth, they consisted only of the three bodies, the physical, etheric, and astral body, and a bridge had to be built. The human being could not build this bridge. They had to be helped. In Lemurian and Atlantean times, work was done on this unconsciously, just as you are now working on it consciously. First the astral body was worked on, producing the sentient soul, then the etheric body from which the mind-soul emerged, and finally even the physical body from which the consciousness-soul developed, which came into being in that the physical body was enabled to drive its physical organs outward. With this development the old clairvoyant state of the Atlantean consciousness passed into the present state of consciousness. Thus the consciousness-soul is the last to be ignited in its appearance. But the human being only became mature enough to work on themselves in the old Atlantean time. So who helped them at the time when they wanted to develop from a being with a physical, etheric, and astral body into a being possessing a sentient soul, a mind soul, and a consciousness soul? We will understand who helped if we look at the evolution of our earth as it happened through the sun, moon, and so on. As you know, the earth separated itself from the sun and sent the moon away from itself. The sun had highly exalted beings who were creatively so far advanced that they could send light into cosmic space. Now, I have often mentioned that it is not only in school that we can be moved down a year, but also in cosmic evolution. The human being had come so far that they could endure the earth, the high beings so far that they could endure the sun. Now these beings who now inhabit the sun had previously had human existence, but in this development beings remained behind for whom it was impossible to complete their tasks. They could not easily inhabit the sun. If they had entered, they would have fared badly. The human being would not have been able to bear it either. But these beings stood between the sun gods and human beings. So they had to be given another cosmic body, so to speak, where the conditions accorded with their existence. Provision was indeed made in cosmic development for these beings. Even before our sun had ejected the earth at about the same time, our Jupiter separated from the sun. Later, after the sun had already ejected the earth, our present-day Venus separated from the sun. And still later, again by separation from the sun, the present-day Mercury. Thus planetary stages of existence were created for these beings who had not kept up. They now inhabit these planets. At the time when the moon detached itself from the earth, a very mysterious process took place in our cosmic development, which is very difficult to explain, and which is called the, quote, passage of Mars through our Earth, close quote. It is, as I have said, extremely difficult to explain, for when the Earth was still joined with the Sun, this Martian mass was in it. Then the Sun separated from the Earth, and then Mars departed, 
and left behind on the earth the substance which is called iron. Mars, too, became a location for such beings who had not kept up. These Mars beings trigger the development of the sentient soul. If they had not exerted their influence on our planet, the sentient soul would not have been able to develop. This shows you the importance of those beings to which we referred at the beginning, which belong spiritually to the physical substances of the solar system and which are interrelated with what we have within ourselves. Just as the sentient soul was prompted by the Mars beings, so the mind soul by the Mercury beings and the consciousness soul by the Jupiter beings. And at that time when the sentient soul, the mind soul and the consciousness soul had already been prompted, the impulse was given to bring manas into flow, because this too still had to be prompted. Once it was set in motion, the human being could, so to speak, take their development into their own hands. That was in the last third of the Atlantean period. The trigger were the beings who were on Venus. In this way you can get an idea of the interaction of the different elements of our planetary system. We must think of the human being as having brought with them their physical body, their etheric body and their astral body. Then three elements develop, the sentient soul, the mind soul and the consciousness soul, and finally manas. The consciousness soul has its strength from Jupiter, the mind soul from Mercury, the sentient soul from Mars, and the spirit self received its impulse from Venus. Thus, if you want to discover the forces that are in you, you must look up to the relevant stars. Humans are complicated beings. They have become so because the forces of the cosmos have flowed together in them. Finally, let us present the whole thing in a picture. Imagine someone seeing on the wall here a small spectrum of the sun, a rainbow. That is, the colors red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Think of it as not being projected on the wall, but only showing up in the dust illuminated by the sun. You would look at that first. Then when you investigate how that comes about, you would see how the sunlight enters the room through a slit, and that through various devices, through a prism or some other light-refracting substance, this spectrum, this spectra, comes about. You can't remove it, but you take away the individual parts that are outside the spectrum, the specter disappears. Take away the external light and the specter is gone. Take away the prism, the wall with the light and the specter is gone. It is formed as the result of lots of external influences. When the clairvoyant looks at the human being, it is the same with the human being as it is here with the spectrum. They are actually nothing in themselves. The human being, because the clairvoyant sees forces from Venus, from Mercury, from Mars, where the human being stands. Take away the Venus effect and the human being is gone. Take away the Mercury effect, the Mars effect, and the human being is gone. The human being appears to the clairvoyant as a convergence of cosmic effects. The only thing that remains real in this spectre for the clairvoyant is the I, capital, 
That is the true reality. This working I, which is the reason for everything flowing together, which works to ensure that all such influences are assimilated. Before the clairvoyant's gaze all confluences disappear. The I alone remains as the only truth. The I, which so few people today regard as a reality, is the only thing that remains. That which the physical sense takes to be the human being is in truth a specter, whose individual parts are held together by the magnetic force, as it were, of the eye. Everything in the human being is an optical illusion except for the working eye. We have now pursued a train of thought together. Please transform it into a feeling. Only then will it acquire a correct value. Go through the world with this feeling. Think of our earthly natures dissolved into a specter with only the eyes working in them. When you feel this, then you feel what the materialistic way of thinking calls existence, reality, dissolve like a vapor, and you see true reality in the spiritual eye. Only then do you feel something of what is meant in the Eastern worldview when it is said that reality is maya. Any other words are an empty phrase. If you start out with the phrase, the world is maya, that is an absurdity. Let us not speak the word maya without first having acquired such a feeling through such reflection. So now you will have obtained a certain idea of what the true occult schooling intends with its long preparations. You see, it is actually a crude phrase to tell people that existence is a mere illusion. Such reflections must first proceed patiently and calmly so that the soul's feelings may be kindled. Let us all first learn to speak the words we need in the right way. People speak our words for the most part only as empty sounds, when, in fact, these words, when spoken in those cultures in which they originated, were associated with deep, meaningful sentiments. Only reflections which show us what maya is, which show us the true reality within the illusion, decant into our soul what we are to gather from theosophy as a sentiment. Therefore, it is necessary that you should not go away just with knowledge, but with this tone, this color of feeling that accrues to such a word. This is how imaginative reflection combines with what we take with us into life, what lives in our soul as feeling, as sentiment. The end of Lecture 13